Food and water are really fascinating things. They're things that we have to deal with every day of our lives. Oftentimes we take them for granted, of course, but it's really hard work to put food on the table. If you think about maybe just your average American meal, you can just take cheeseburger and fries if you want, for instance. You have to get the bun, first of all, right? So what do you do for the bun? You have to grow grain, and then you have to harvest the grain, and then you have to grind it up into flour, and then you have to bake it and figure out how yeast works and let it rise. And then for the meat, you have to get the cow and grow the cow, and then you got to milk another cow to make the cheese, and then you got to slaughter the cow, and you got to process the meat and make it into a patty and fry it. You gotta have fire to do that. And so on and so forth. The fries, you gotta grow potatoes, you gotta slice the potatoes, you gotta have oil of some kind to fry the potatoes. And water too. Water, we again take for granted because it just comes out of the sink when we turn it on. But that water has to come from somewhere and it has to be purified so it's drinkable and then think about whenever we don't have these things think about how if during a snowstorm the pipes freeze how much we freak out and need to go and find water somewhere and think about how easily consumed we are by these things that we take for granted these simple things of food and water Think about how tempted we can be by food. I don't know about you. For me, it's cookies. I'm sure you have your thing too. But if I see a plate of cookies there, it's a very, very, very small chance that I'm not going to take one. (laughs) We are consumed by these things. They're actually big deals. Think about how much time you could spend if you just wanted to prepare three meals in a day and you needed to go to the grocery store to get that food. And then you have to prepare that food and then eat that food and then wash the dishes. Think about how much time that takes up. It really is a fascinating thing that consumes a lot more of our lives than I think we think about. In the Bible, food and water is no less fascinating. In fact, in the beginning, the production of food was one of the main things When God made Adam and Eve, he had made a garden and he said, I need someone to garden it. This was man's first job to produce food, to have dominion over the earth, to sustain himself. And water, their rivers were there. This is one of the main features of the Garden of Eden, the rivers, four rivers flowing out in every direction. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil containing food. And that was the first temptation. The first temptation was a temptation of gluttony. And if you go on in the book of Genesis, Esau sold his birthright for nothing else than a bowl of lentil stew. And Jacob got his blessing by making a meal for Isaac. And Jacob also went forward and marked the promised land by digging wells, by having places where the Israelites could get water. 
In Exodus, the people wandered through the wilderness, and what did they grumble and complain about? Most of all, no food, no water. And what did God provide them with? Miraculous food from heaven, manna from above, and water from places you wouldn't expect, water from rocks. And yet they complained, of course. That wasn't good enough for them. They wanted better food, better water. So it is no surprise that when we come to Jesus in the wilderness being tempted today, that the devil kind of replays what he did back in Genesis chapter 3. He's fasting in the wilderness. He's fasting from food, this fundamental aspect of human nature, this fundamental passion of hunger that we all have. And he's in a place with likely little water. For 40 days, the same number of days as the years of the Israelites in the wilderness. And he was, Matthew points this out specifically, and he was hungry. But the first temptation of Jesus is the first temptation of man. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Just like you made water from the rocks back then. Just like Adam and Eve wanted the fruit so bad, command these stones to become bread. This is a fleshly temptation. You could call it gluttony, the sin of gluttony. That's the sins having to do with obsessing or over-consuming food. But the real point here, the broader category here, is that these are temptations of the flesh, of our sinful flesh. It's a temptation also included in this category, like temptations of lust or temptations of unlawful outburst of violence. Things that come from the passions that rage in us, things that come from our sinful flesh that it seems in some ways like we can't even control. And I think in this temptation particularly, of course, in the others as well, you can see that Jesus was, as Hebrews says, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That when we get down to the very root of it, when we get down to the passions in our flesh, the things we can't control, like looking at the plate of cookies or whatever it is, that Jesus also experienced these passions, these fleshly temptations. And here we can see what we call in theology Jesus' active obedience. It is certainly true that Jesus had passive obedience, that is, he submitted to the will of the Father by going to the cross. He submitted to the will of the Father by bearing the wrath of God on himself for our sin. But in some ways, it was not just enough for him to have passive obedience. He also had to have active obedience, actively fight against temptation, actively to fulfill what we could not, to do the things that we cannot do. 
to fulfill God's law perfectly in absolutely every way. And you can track the other two temptations that Jesus experiences here in the wilderness along those same lines. When the devil tells him to throw himself down, because surely the angels will not let him strike his foot against the stone, he's tempting him with vain glory. He's tempting him with this idea that you can determine the will of God for yourself, And that you can be your own God. Now, of course, it's kind of silly with Jesus because Jesus already is God. But it's the kind of temptation that we often also experience. That we can be our own gods. That we can determine what's right and wrong. That we can determine what God's word says and doesn't say. When he says, worship me and all of this will be yours. And he shows them the kingdoms of the earth. It's avarice. It's covetousness. It's the temptation of wanting things that God has not given us. And when you combine all of these three temptations, what you have is temptations of the flesh, temptations of passions. You have temptations of the devil who tempts us and tells us, surely you can be like God. And you have the temptations of the world, of wealth, and all that the world has to offer. You have temptations of the flesh, the devil, and the world. And of course, there's overlap between those. But what you can see here is that these are the three basic kinds of human temptation. Just like when we thought about food, we thought about how basic this is to our life, how base this is to our life and how much it can consume. So with all temptations, the temptations of the flesh, the devil and the world, these three basic categories of temptations, of passions and vainglory and covetousness, these are the basic things that we battle against every day. And if you look throughout biblical history, just like we did with food and water that the people of God have been battling with for ages, they've been corrupting the hearts of men for ages and ages. And so we pray, dear Father, lead us not into temptation and help us to repent when we fall. One thing notable about this active obedience of Christ when he goes and battles for us, when he goes and does what we could not do in all three categories of temptation, is that he is baptized right beforehand. If you look at the structure in Matthew 3 and 4, Jesus is baptized and immediately as he comes out of the water, the Spirit sends him forth, the Spirit descended on him, and now the Spirit sends him forth into the wilderness to be tempted. He's baptized into battle. And just like the Israelites had gone through the Red Sea waters, been baptized through the crossing of the sea, They were sent forth immediately into 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Jesus was sent forth into 40 days of wilderness wanderings. And so are we. 
When we are baptized, we are baptized into a life of battle. Of battle against the flesh, of battle against the devil, of battle against the world. Luther said famously, I've quoted this I think many times from this pulpit, you do a child no favors by baptizing them. Sorry, Everett. And what does he mean by that? Of course, we think that baptism is good and wonderful and right and salutary and a blessing in so many ways. But the point is this. When someone is baptized, they are marked as an enemy of the devil. Everett is now, yes, a child of God, but also an enemy of of his own sinful flesh and an enemy of the devil and an enemy of the world. And he will have to fight this battle, just like you have to fight this battle. We are baptized into battle, something we should take very seriously. That's why today we sang the battle hymn of the Reformation to Gird our loins, if you will, for war. The good news is that we don't fight this battle alone. Everett will not fight this battle alone. For one, as we confess today in the baptism, we welcomed him together with an army. We welcomed him into the safe and secure ark of the holy Christian church, just like Noah's ark floated on the treacherous waters of old, so does this church float safe and secure in God's holy word and command the waters of this world. We are baptized into battle, but we fight together. We have sponsors in the faith, and we have the church together, rallying together, around this child and around all of us. And then we also have this. We have, as we said earlier, the active obedience of Christ himself. For whenever we fail, whenever we fall, whenever we are harmed and hurt in the battle, Christ goes ahead victorious. Christ fights for us. He comes and he stands before us and he gives us his armor, the full armor of God, to protect us in this battle. And he gives us as part of that armor, especially here today, his word. Jesus tells you the answer to fight the devil. He tells you exactly what you need. And it goes back to that basic food. Man shall not live by bread alone. When we think about energy, we think about calories. This is why food is so basic to us and why we have to deal with it every day because we have to constantly provide sustenance for our bodies. But Jesus tells you the real secret. It's not about calories. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's not what gives true life. It's what gives fleshly life, but it's not what gives true life. What man shall live by is every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord. The devil wants to twist 
these words. The devil wants to take these words. That's why he quotes scriptures and make half lies out of them and confuse you. But you know the truth. You have God's full word. You have the true doctrine. You have a church and a faith that is Christ-centered in all things, not interpreting by half lies, not interpreting out of context, but interpreting with Christ at the center. And so fight these battles. Fight these battles. When the flesh comes to you and says, oh, one more drink's not that bad. One more pill, one more dessert, whatever gluttonous thing it is, one more minute staring at the screen of lustful desire. Whatever fleshly temptation comes to you, fight it. Remember Jesus' hunger. Remember that he fought the devil and he fought the flesh. And remember that his words are your bread of life. And he promised you daily bread. The bread of true sustenance. Everything that you need for this body and this life, he will provide you. And pray that in those moments he would give you daily bread. That he would lead you not into temptation, but deliver you from all evil. And when the devil tempts you with vain glory, remember your creator. Remember that you don't get to make the rules or the laws or the statutes. When you get angry at the way your life seems to be going and you want to snap your fingers and change those stones, those rocks that are in your way into pleasure, pray not mine but thy will be done. And when you are tempted by the world, by covetousness, by the wealth that God has not given you, remember the true wealth, your health and your life and your salvation that the Lord has already provided for you. And that even if these things all be gone, your victory has been won. Worship the Lord and serve him only. Food and water really are fascinating things. We have to deal with them every day, just like we have to deal with the temptations of the flesh, the devil, and the world every day. The good news is this, that Jesus provides the bread of life and the water from streams eternal. When you look at that constant theme of food and water throughout the scriptures, it is not at all surprising that when Jesus gives his sacraments to the church, what are they but the bread of life and the water eternal? And so he comes today to you in his sacraments, to Everett in holy baptism, which helps us all, of course, to remember our baptisms, and to us here today together with his body, and his blood, the bread of life, and the medicine of immortality. And so, yes, we deal with gluttony every day. But today we are fed with a food that fills us. 
that strengthens us for the battle. And yes, we thirst in this world of battle. But Jesus gives us water which has no end. Thanks be to the God who fights for us. Amen. Amen.